Hey, what's up? This is episode 041, Friday 15. Someone asked Mark Cuban as to how he prioritizes. He said, I do everything via email, which in turn works as my tickler file and prioritization queue. I start at the top every morning and keep on going until I'm finished. I don't do calls, I don't do meetings. Let's do it. One, two, three. Welcome to the Design Your Thinking Podcast, a show where we think, learn, and explore the product mindset so you can design better products every day. And now your host, Karthik. Hey, welcome back to the Friday 15 episode on the Design Your Thinking Podcast. This is me, Karthik. In the last Friday 15 episode, episode 038, you saw me trying something very different from what I've done so far in the Friday 15 uh, series. What we did, if you have not listened to it so far, is we tried and brought in a guest teacher to the last Friday 15 episode. Specifically in 038, episode 38, um, I had Matt Anderson coming in and talking about the 13 questions to ask about your software product pricing right so that was one episode that was so useful for me personally because as matt was talking about the 13 questions and explaining them i really really benefited a lot so i thought i should do it another time well let's keep it aside i actually thought of doing two guest episodes to see how you like it so today we are going to do it yet another time Yes, I have someone very special on the show today to talk about a a thing that most of us product makers struggle with frankly a lot. Prioritization. Oh yes, I've used a whole bunch of different tools and techniques and name it to do prioritization of a various different bunch of things. But most often we talk about prioritization people then just tend to think about features but you know it's not about just features. There are a whole bunch of other things as well that we need to prioritize as product managers. So today, the, uh, our guest is going to talk about how you can prioritize beyond using just a spreadsheet and what you need to be looking at in order to be pri- doing your prioritization right. All right, without much ado, let me go ahead and introduce you to today's guest. Our guest today is the founder and director of products of DadNap. a service that provides public transportation directions by text message by empowering teams to make informed product decisions our guest creates product experiences that transform people's lives he blogs and loves to play football and lives in downtown austin let's go ahead and welcome roger cowen roger welcome to the show and so happy to have you with us today thank you karthik Awesome, Roger. Can you quickly uh, talk about what we can expect to hear in the next fifteen minutes about prioritization? Sure. So one of the that's that's one of the key activities that uh, product teams need to do is to figure out what their priorities party priorities are, whether it be for at the roadmap level or sort of at the more detailed user story level. And there are a lot of uh, sort of. Uh, There are some best practices, and there are some ways that, from my experience, I've noticed that they're not very effective. So, 
my plan was to to uh, talk about that. Oh, that's nice. I think that's a set of areas that I'm sure is going to be a lot useful for a lot of us, including myself. So, Roger, I I just can't wait to um, hear to what you have to say. So, please, the stage is all yours. Take it away. So, as product managers, when we are prioritizing, we might be prioritizing on the basis of features, user stories, epics, market problems, or themes. And there's a lot of talk these days about how prioritizing in terms of themes on a roadmap, at least, is the way to go is the best practice because when you're at a much more detailed level, you might lose sight of those uh, high-level themes. And things are changing so quickly that a detailed roadmap is generally not going to uh, last for very long. Any, any prioritization that you do at that level is generally going to be obsolete in the very near future. But the question becomes, no matter what level we're prioritizing at, what are the methods that we should use for doing that prioritizing? And how can we have confidence across the team that that, that, those met- that, that method for prioritizing is, uh, yields the best results for the product? So there are a number of sort of uh, worst practices, let's say, for doing prioritization. And unfortunately, they are fairly pervasive. I've done some of them early in my career myself, and I've observed many other product teams uh, repeating the same sorts of uh, mistakes. And so what you'll often see is when, when the team is not uh, on the same page about priorities, you'll find that somebody decides, well, let's try to make this as objective as possible so that we can all get on the same page. And so they'll, they'll put together a scorecard or a spreadsheet with a bunch of columns of the different things that matter, like the potential revenue and the number of customer requests and uh, the, the, the lost deals that have come for sales as from, from missing a feature, for example. And then they'll put each of the possible uh, roadmap items or prioritization items, whatever the level they might be, in different rows and have a, a score at the end that rates each one based on various factors. And the reason that this is unfortunately not a very effective uh, way of doing things. It's Well, it's actually threefold. So for one thing, uh, there's usually a larger organizational dysfunction that causes this sort of, uh, causes this approach, this spreadsheet or scorecard approach to be attractive to some people on the team because they, they want to avoid that organizational dysfunction and get into more objective ways of prioritizing and they feel like they can avoid those human, those difficult human factors by uh, turning to a scorecard. And of course, when, when I frame it that way, you're probably thinking that it's not, it's, it's 
generally not going to be very effective to just ignore the human issues or try to sidestep the human issues. So that's the first, uh, the first reason that it's not necessarily a good idea to use a spreadsheet or scorecard uh, for prioritization. Another one is that it usually indicates a product strategy void or uh, a, a lack of shared understanding of the product strategy among the team. So what is a strategy? A strategy is a set of high-level decisions that you've made that drive all of the lower-level tactical decisions, including prioritization. So if you have a good product strategy in place, and it's shared by the team, by definition, you are generally going to have a much smoother and easier time in making all of those prioritization and other tactical decisions on a day-to-day basis. And then the third factor to consider is uh, your, and, and this relates to the product strategy, and that's that we're gonna get into here how uh, product strategy can really drive prioritization and exactly how to do that. But uh, one of the factors here is distraction from the unique value proposition. The unique value proposition or sort of the positioning that you intend for your product um, is a key component of your product strategy. So uh, what happens, think about it with, a, with, with this spreadsheet approach. And you've got a bunch of factor or a bunch of, uh, yeah, a bunch of columns and a bunch of factors and, and scoring that you're doing. And you're, what you're essentially doing is revisiting all of the decisions that you've already made. When you choose a unique value proposition for your product, when you choose uh, the problems that you're going to solve in the marketplace to begin with, and feed that into the decision of what your unique value proposition is. You've, when you've done that, you've already decided essentially the, the, the set of problems that you're gonna solve and sort of how you prioritize uh, what sort of value you're going to deliver. So that really what, what ends up happening is the unique value proposition is what already, it's that strategy that should be driving your prioritization decisions. So let's get into that. When you choose your unique value proposition, um, you are that it is a promise of the value that you envision your product uniquely delivering to a target market. You've essentially chosen who your target market is. You've understood the set of market problems that they face, and you've chosen the ones that your product can uniquely uh, solve relative to the competition. Now, when you are faced with a prioritization decision, should we build such and such a feature? Should we run such and such an experiment? 
should we focus on this theme or this other theme, the very first thing that you should ask is, what is the support for the unique value proposition? Because it's that strategic decision that you've already made that that drives your tactical prioritization decisions. So when sales comes, and of course we've all experienced this, sales comes that if we just build this feature, we can close this big deal. And so let's, we need to prioritize it. And it's all about revenue, right? It's all about sales, it's all about revenue. Well, sure, ultimately it is. But why did we choose our unique value proposition in the first place? We did so because we felt we could deliver value that would drive future sales. And it would do so in a competitive landscape where we could carve out our niche, carve out our territory that would drive that revenue by delivering that value. So when we, uh, again, when we are prioritizing, let's do so through the lens of the unique value proposition first and foremost. Does it support the unique value proposition? Is it inconsistent with with the unique value proposition? Now you might say, but yeah, if there's enough revenue, if there's enough uh, indication from sales, maybe from prospect interviews that you've done, that indicate there's a real opportunity outside of that unique value proposition. You might say, that's a pretty compelling reason not to go with the unique value proposition approach to prioritizing. So my response to that is, what you're doing is questioning whether your unique, the, the, the unique value proposition that you chose as a hypothesis, as the one that you thought was the product strategy or was the foundation for the product strategy that was going to be the best market opportunity and deliver the most revenue for you. What you're doing is you're saying, maybe that hypothesis was incorrect or there's another unique value proposition and another product that you could deliver that also represents a great opportunity. So when this sort of thing happens, when you have this sort of tension that comes from inputs and observations that seem to argue you should go in a different direction Uh, than your unique value proposition for driving your prioritizing. It's time to revisit your unique value proposition and decide whether you need to change it or you need to create a new product and spin off another product that's going to deliver on this other opportunity. So the what you definitely shouldn't do, though, is say, well, I still have these unique value propositions, but then I'm just going to start introducing all of these tangential features into the product that don't support the unique value proposition, because then you end up with a very fractured product. One where the perception in the market is, what does this stand for? What does this product do? Um, what is its unique value? What is its strength? 
and you end up with a very scattered product in terms of perception, but then it also places a huge burden on your product team and on your development team because now they're putting all this hodgepodge into the product and it can be difficult to maintain and it can be difficult to design a coherent user interface uh, that's going to be able to accommodate this hodgepodge. It's much easier when it's very logical, cohesive, and ties together, and it's all tied together by a unique, singular unique value proposition. So you end up uh, looking at a few other factors, though, not just the unique value proposition, but those other factors are things you know, realistic factors like, you know, is this feasible to build? What are the constraints on the engineering side of things? How much level of effort will it take? Do we have the resources to build uh, a prospective feature, for example? So that's an, always an important factor. And then, Learning is an important factor. As we sort of talk, uh, as, as, as lean startup and design thinking are in both, learning is a, a really big part of what product teams need to do. And uh, so when you're considering what to build next, under, trying to learn from what you're building next and setting up what you're doing next as a potential experiment can be a good idea to help maximize learning. So if you're tackling, the, if you're looking at what are the biggest risks, what are the biggest unknowns in my product strategy, what are the biggest unknowns um, at a more tactical level, maybe at the development level, the implementation level, the architectural level, uh, your priorities can be driven somewhat by those factors as well. Uh, because you want to maximize your learning and you want to confront those risks. But generally, those risks are again, uh, in many cases, are going to be tied back to your unique value proposition and who's your target market. Right? You have hypothesis, you have those as hypotheses. Who's your target market? Am I targeting this segment or this segment? and you think you've found the sweet spot, maybe, um, it could be that you can use some experimentation in order to figure out uh, whether your assumptions are valid there. So another side benefit of taking this approach is that you're able to empower the product team uh, so that they are not coming back to the product manager or as I call them, call it the sort of all-knowing one uh, uh, approach to product management where the product manager, everybody goes back to the product manager, the product manager makes the decisions. Another approach Approach, the approach that I prefer is one where the product manager 
is not making all the decisions, but is facilitating the team making the decisions. So the product manager doesn't own the product. The team owns the product. The team owns the product, and the product manager is the leader who is able to facilitate a shared. Uh, a shared ownership and a shared understanding of what needs to happen with the product. When you take this approach to prioritizing, it's driven by the product strategy. You make it so that the team doesn't have to go back to the product manager for all the tactical decisions. When there's that shared understanding of the product strategy, the team and each individual team member on a day-to-day basis. Basically knows what they need to be doing and how they need to prioritize their own time. And when there are team decisions to be made on priorities, team members are generally able to be more on the same page because the those decisions flow naturally out of the product strategy and out of the unique value proposition. All right, that was an interesting episode, and I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Roger about uh, this whole topic. And in fact, the I have to tell you uh, a background to how this all started. Uh, you know, Roger had a blog post written um, a long time back where he talked about this topic, and interestingly, the the the, the comment trail on the the blog post was uh, was an indeed lengthy one, and the comments were pretty interesting. I saw comments from Steven Johnson, Scott Selhurst, who was there in our episode uh, that came out last, which is episode number 40, and a lot of other people that in, that I really felt uh, the need to bring Roger on the show and actually uh, let him talk about this topic. And I really benefited from this, and as I hope you did as well. Focusing on the unique value proposition can actually come handy uh, in not just prioritization, but in a lot other things uh, that you come across as a product manager. So I hope this you found value in this episode, and I really, really hope you try and put this to use. Go and try this in your company on your product, and uh, do let me or Roger know about how you uh, you felt doing doing it. So. Again, I have the show notes um, filled with links to Roger's article, and also a few other articles that Roger and I ended up talking. Uh, you know, uh, after we finished recording this episode, so you'll find the show notes at designyourthinking.com/episode041. And if you like listening to this episode where we brought in Roger, and the last episode where I brought in Matt. Do let me know. I would love to bring in more guest teachers and uh, give you more different perspectives on the Friday Fifteen episodes. And of course, if you like listening to this episode, please do head over to iTunes and I really beg of you go and leave me a rating and review. I really mean. Um, uh, jokes apart, these reviews are very important. It's going to help the podcast reach a lot more people like you. So yeah, head over to designyourthinking.com/itunes and it will take you to iTunes and you can do subscribe and of course leave a rating and review. And if you like to take action, do subscribe to my newsletter. There 
a lot of interesting that things that's going to happen in the coming weeks and i just don't want you to miss out do head over to designyourthinking.com scroll all the way to the bottom of the page you'll find a place where you can give your email address do that and i'll see you in your inbox very soon all right till i see you in the next episode stay tuned stay inspired cheers to all the good work that you're doing Thanks for listening to the Design Your Thinking podcast. Subscribe to our newsletter at www.designyourthinking.com.